1: Marshall podcast. We're coming off last night's State of the Union address. Uh, I guess it's, you know, there's always that thing where I guess it's his... It, it's, it's always unclear to me whether it's the second or the third, since you have that kind of first State of the Union that a president does that is kind of the housewarming, right? I don't... I'm not sure they call it a State of the... Do they they call it. Mm-hmm. They don't, right? It's just sort of the, the kickoff speech or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I... Um, I wrote a kind, you know, uh, Kate and I in our in our different sections of the site were both basically live blogging the events last night, and uh, I did a kind of a sum up afterwards. I, I found it, um, I, you know, I, I always am a little trepidatious about being too gushy, um, and as I said in what I wrote last night, uh, I, I don't like watching State of the Union addresses. I, I find them. Like a a mix of tedious and stressful because you know what's going to happen is there going to be this if if, is there going to be that and um, in the nature of what I do I have to kind of analyze it you know was this good was that good and in most cases they're just kind of like yeah what the president said all the stuff that he says and you know there was this one time where this happened and someone cheered and was he inspiring enough and. Were the sort of the feel good guests up in the up in the box, good enough and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, you know, in most cases, it kind of just totally doesn't matter. And by matter, I mean, is it going to change the trajectory of the political moment? Is it going to change the next election? All this kind of stuff. I mean, they tend to kind of. There was, I I, th- I think, um, I think, I think it was Kate who who showed me a tweet or something, or maybe something from a newsletter, one of the Pod Save America newsletters last night, and one of uh, Obama's speechwriters basically described it as something like, you know, high floor, low ceiling. Like, it's, it's a very bounded thing, right? President standing, you know, he's got, everybody's got good speechwriters. President stands up there and he reads the speech and kind of like, as long as he doesn't throw up you know, I mean, how bad can it be? Right. He reads the speech. Um, and but it's also how good can it be? Because he's, he's not going to introduce to you that he just got a, a, a PhD in nuclear physics. You know, it, you know who he is. So it's all kind of bounded. And yet, last night, I, I ended up saying to me, it, it was the best State of the Union address I've ever seen. And I've been watching them for more than 40 years. Um, And when I say that, I don't mean that, as as I just said, it's kind of, it's not the highest bar, right? I mean, we know that uh, Bill Clinton sort of uh, notoriously gave these long laundry list speeches that reporters hated. But over the eight years of his presidency, the press realized that the public liked it. You know he's just talking about uh this program, that program, you know, kind of informational and stuff like that, uh, and uh, Barack Obama, obviously a great orator, but at a certain level, kind of like, okay, the president's a great orator, you know that there's that has a limited that's cool um but that has a limited relevance to being president um Trump was Trump, uh, Bush was Bush in their own ways, but in any case, I went into um, I went into this one you know uh, not really high expectations or low expectations. Uh, uh, Joe Biden has never been like a, a great orator, uh, as many of you know when he was a, when he was a child, he actually had a stutter, and there's still some kind of remnants of that in his speech uh, and to me, at least the first I don't know 15 minutes or so was pretty perfunctory um even a little halting um and if you're a if you're a Biden fan as I am uh there's always this kind of sense if anything's halting everybody's going to say oh my god he's losing it he's he's totally he's 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 uh he's had it he's got dementia and all this kind of stuff so it's always a lo- you know kind of watching it to see how it goes and everything and uh But then it kind of changed. And he was enjoying himself. He really, I mean, it kind of, you saw that afterwards. Kate and I were just talking before we started recording the podcast that he, we weren't sure. Someone told me that he was there talking to people after the speech for more than an hour. Kate thinks it was not nearly that long. And she's probably right. But the point is, it is, it was much longer than like any other president does. He is kind of like he's closing the bar. Right, he's waiting to every last person who wanted to hang out with him and chat, Uh, and that's kind of that's that's kind of classic Joe Biden. He's that kind of retail politics, uh, you know, backslapping and 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 not um, that's not all uh, uh, trivial or for show or just kind of you know collecting chits and all that kind of stuff. He's a people person. That's kind of who he is, and it's an interesting contrast with Barack Obama because uh, Obama had. Many fine qualities, not least of which was as a communicator and a speaker. Um, but he wasn't a glad hander. He did it because you have to do that. But, you know, that wasn't his thing. Um, and it is Joe Biden's thing. But what really, and, you know, you probably saw it, so I, I don't need to describe it to you, but he starts out and it's, you know, unity, unity, unity. You know, what we did together. Thank you so much. Congress people, even you Republicans, we all got together and we did it. Even though in a lot of cases that was not the case, right? But all kind of like unity and we're going to do this and we can come together and blah, 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 blah. And then he kind of is sort of setting a trap for them because he's up there, man. We are one big happy family and we disagree sometime, but like we are all together and look at what we've accomplished and thank you because I couldn't have accomplished any, you know, it's, it's your accomplishment. And then he started with these things about like, you know, and you know, I, I I just hope you guys don't abolish social security because we don't want to do that. And, And he sort of, they start yelling at him, calling him a liar, jeering. And I mean, For the for the for the ones of you who are fairly new to this, that whole thing is totally new. That really started in 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 2010. I think it was the 2010. I don't know if it was maybe it was 2011 State of the Union address. I can't remember with Obama where uh, uh, Joe Wilson's you know called him a liar, just yelled out at him, and it was shocking to everybody. Everybody was like totally taken aback. But now it's like normal for Republicans to do that, and. He wasn't thrown off his stride at all. He kind of went back and forth with them. And, you know, kind of they're saying, he's like, no, no, no. Hey, call my office. I'll show, you, I'll show you Rick Scott's program. I'm sorry you didn't know about it. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're having a kind of a State of the Union conversion here. He really, he was clearly enjoying himself. And he was going toe to toe. They didn't throw him off his stride. And um, if nothing else, that made it uh, kind of one of the best of these that I've seen, just because it was unpredictable. The kind of the most telling moments were not scripted. They were off the speech. And I think what, you know, there's always this sort of thing that, that um, partisans get into, and I mean partisans in the positive sense of the word, of, you know, the you know, the House Republican majority, you know, they want to destroy Biden. So when you see him saying, hey, we're going to work together, I'm loving my friend Kevin, a lot of people are like, dude, he doesn't get it. And that's bad because he's the head of the team. Um, but in a political sense, what you want is you want the president up there saying like, hey, we are one big team. We are loving each other, loving America. Everything is awesome. And then you get like Marjorie Green saying, fuck you liar (laughs) you know and she didn't as far as we know she didn't say fuck you but she was saying stuff without four letter words pretty close yelling calling him a liar and stuff jeering all this kind of stuff and you see that as the public and you're like wow joe biden's trying to bring everybody together and these republicans are whack and they walked right into it and they they kind of they could only spring that trap on themselves and they did Um, and I think, uh, as I said, I think state of the unions don't end up mattering that much in the grand scheme of things, but certainly, you know, uh, Joe Biden's big political liability is a lot of people and not just Republicans think he's just, is he up to it? He's old. He's 80 years old. 80 is old. If you're 80, I'm sorry, you're old. Uh, You know, you're probably going to be alive when you're 90 maybe, maybe 95, but it's old. We all know a lot of 80 year olds. Uh, it's that's, you're not, you're not operating. Most people at that age are not operating at the level they were when they were 50 or 60 or even 70. And in some ways, it's actually more of a liability for him with Democrats. Because of course, Republicans are saying he's, you know, they've set up a kind of a secret old folks home in, in the White House and he's barely You know, he can barely speak or something like that. They're against him. They're saying all sorts of things. But his real problem is that there are a number of Democrats who like him, thankful that he got it, you know, got the job done in 2020. But they think like, all right, it's, we need someone newer, someone with a little more, you know, a little more current, a little more energy, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Joe Biden's still 80. But I think the Biden you saw there, he's, He's got a lot of energy and he's got a lot of, he's pretty jazzed there. So I thought the whole thing, um, the whole thing was different than what I was expecting. And I think they have set themselves up now for a lot of post-State of the Union press. Because what are you going to talk about now? We're going to litigate, well, is it true that there are a lot of Republicans who want to cut Social Security? Let's 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 dig into that. And there are a lot of Republicans who want to cut Social Security. So that, that's a conversation the White House wants to have. So that's where we are. Uh, let me remind you that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. It's brewed strong with a blend of 100% Arabica coffee. I was going to say, I thought it was like Arabica beans, but it's Arabica coffee. I guess this is sort of a, a style and diction issue, but, but there you go. Grady's full-proof bean bags take the mess and guesswork out of brewing with rich, velvety coffee you can drink, iced, hot, spiked in a cocktail. Just steep overnight and sip to your heart's content. Save yourself a stop and save yourself a stop and Grady's any way you want. Ready to give it a swirl. Ready to give it a swirl. Wow. I'm really off today. I'm thrown off by the late night. Are you ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay. Uh, co-host Kate Riga, what's your verdict?
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think It's the best Biden speech I've ever seen. I thought it was the best state of the union I've ever seen, um, which is kind of shocking, given that (laughs) Biden is just really not a good public speaker. And like, I don't, you know, obviously he's got his stutter as part of it. And he, let me just say, is not alone in this. (laughs) Like, none of the Democratic leaders currently are good speakers. I watched a Schumer presser the other day and like was nodding off. I mean, it's just... yeah, you know, it's not a skill that necessarily a lot of our leaders have at this moment, but I think like, Hakim
1: Jeffries is a sort of a comer there. I think he's I'm, in it.
0: I'm holding out until, oh my God, his A to Z thing he did in his speech, I thought was so annoying. So, oh, I didn't oh, even, annoying. I didn't, I, so he I didn't, did like, I didn't see A is for, I don't know, a, a, affability, B is for bipartisanship, and did one for like every letter. Oh, yeah, this that's was after annoying. the the McCarthy speakership thing. So we'd already Uh, been there for eight million freaking hours. But anyway, so and like you say, Biden started off quite shaky. Like his first five lines were fumbled in a way that they were almost hard to understand what he was saying. Um, And he tried to open up with a joke about Jill Biden going to the Eagles game. And it was, yeah, there was some decipherable. So it was awkward.
1: Yeah, there was there was there was some word missing or something, and yeah. I was like, "Ooh, this might be a long night."
0: And I do think it's a technique to deal with the stutter that he sometimes speeds through. He goes really fast so he doesn't get stuck on things, right? Um, which sometimes makes him miss words, and sometimes it makes it hard to understand um, the thrust of the sentence or like deadens how it lands, you know? Because right. there wasn't an emphasis on the the kind it's of like the timing words. is off, right? Yeah. And so at the beginning, I was just like, "Oh." geez, like this is going to be rough. And, um, you know, and also this is the first time he's delivering a State of the Union with McCarthy behind him instead of it being uh, Harris and Pelosi. So, and that does change the dynamic, you know, and in, in ways that I want to get into. But the most basic way is that you have, you know, a kind of a quote unquote hostile actor behind him reacting to his speech. And that makes it feel less safe for him as a speaker. Um because we, you know, we've got a live shot, a live reaction shot from someone who does not want him to perform well. So you also had that in the the dynamic. Um, But as he also often does, I think you got a real sense of him settling in and kind of building his momentum and building his comfort. And like you talked about, I think it's indisputable that the moment that he quote unquote won the speech and it turned from kind of a Success to what I really think was a blow the doors off speech was when, like you say, he used the Republican heckling to publicly negotiate them into backing off of cutting Social Security and Medicare. I mean, it was masterful on on so many levels. I think, A, the fact that he, his ad libbing that in that part was very good and very funny. Like kind of after he says like, okay, so we're all on the same page, huh? Like unanimity, like, all right, everyone's cheering. And then he returns back to the text of the speech, but he throws in these little asides where he's like, uh, you know, I will never allow these programs to be threatened, which apparently is not going to be a problem, you know? And it was right. funny. And like Harris was laughing and McCarthy was kind of laughing. Um, he just kind of had it all in the palm of his hand. And I think it was doubly impressive because that is unbelievably stressful to have people yelling at you and people who you know are in this moment, your enemies trying to throw you off your game and being rude. And like you say, you know, I know the conversations about decorum are so boring, but breaking the norms in a way that was unbreakable for a really long time. You know, like you say, obviously you lie was the first crack in that, but that was a big deal. And both sides huge, condemned it. It was
1: shocking. It was shocking right. at the time. Yeah. And
0: then, you know, last year you kind of had the, the you know, the big image from last year was Bobert and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene standing up and mid yelling. Um, so we've had, you know, the cr- the cracks are splintering out, you know, but mm-hmm. this year, I mean, Every time he got quiet, every time he took a breath, basically there was heckling, and it yeah. did not matter the emotional moment that they were interrupting.
1: There was there was this part that was actually after that story of the daughter, yep, who died of I assume an over. They weren't completely clear how she died, but presumably an overdose. It was, it was uh, you know, fentanyl, and right on the right into that, they started like jeering him and they were, you know, I think they would say, well, we're jeering him about the border where all the fentanyl is coming in. It's never been clear to me that's actually the case. I, I'm pretty sure most of it comes in by, you know, smuggled and aircraft and stuff like that. But, but the point is, as you said, they, they, it, it was constant. And, and here's the thing, if you, I was shocked the first time I was ever in the house chamber, when you see it on TV, And this is for those of you who I assume is most of you who've never been there. When you see it on TV, it has the feeling of it's this, you know, big cavernous thing. And so when Marjorie Greene is is standing up and like, you know, pumping her fist and yelling and stuff, that he's maybe like, oh, I could, you know, could I, who is that out? I see someone. It's not like that. It's really close. It's a small room. It's a small room. It looks much bigger on TV. So this is more like someone like 30, 40 feet away from you. Just saying like, you're lying, dude, whatever. So in that part of it, again, maybe it's just me, but on on TV, it looks like it's all much bigger. It's not. So he sees exactly who's doing what. And like when he's going back and forth, he's not kind of going back and forth with the nameless uh, crowd. He's certainly looking at one person probably Marjorie Green and saying like oh oh uh, am I alive you know it's mm-hmm. very personal and intense and and yeah. and that is a very um you know you know you've got 30 40 million people watching you um it's it and uh it's not just kind of any time it, it's it's consequential so and that's that's highly unpredictable you don't know how that's going to go
0: right and so yeah i think the The big moment, aside from him kind of using it to publicly negotiate, was the fentanyl moment, as we say, because the camera at this point was mostly on the face of the grieving father when they're saying, this is your fault, Biden, which is, you know, kind of an echo of last year, because one of the biggest moments there were when I think he was talking about burn pits or he was talking about dead soldiers and i think that right. it was bobert who said again oh he said that um x number of people are in coffins right and then bobert said you put them there and that was last year's version of this yeah, And the thing I mean, is it- like i am sure obviously They wouldn't keep doing this if there wasn't an incentive to do it. And I am 100% sure there is some part of the base who loves it, who thinks it's freaking hilarious that like there's no respect for the office, much less the man, you know, but it's, they're doing, they're just, they're not smart people. So they're doing it at the, you know, to what a normal person would be this like very emotional moving point and then they're trying to get in with a little jab to be like, ha it's your fault, like nah, rah, rah, interrupt your speech. And it's like that I think would work better if they maybe picked a point that was a little bit less devastating for those watching. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: yeah, yeah. No, it, that was a very hard um, uh, for any parent. And, and you don't have to be a parent, but I can tell you as a parent that that's hard to watch. Um, And I think, you know, what we see there is what a lot of commentators I hear saying a lot now, that the Republican Party largely exists in the sort of theatrical and moral economy of the right-wing media ecosystem, where that kind of like, oh, they died, you did it, bro, good going. You know, where most people are like, dude, that's, you know, and look, there's, you know, a lot of people feel very strongly about issues dealing with immigration and the border and drugs and, and, and whatever. But there is a significantly smaller group who like that kind of stuff. That makes people feel uncomfortable. Even if, even if you have some level of agreement with the, You know, to the extent that you can find some policy agenda in there. Um, And I, I think, you know, that's what in many ways, well, whether they were trying to do it, it's what they got. I think, to put it frankly, when normal people see that behavior, it's a little upsetting. Yeah. Most people I mean, don't it's, it's 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 I mean and I'll I'll say this. I'll say this and and I think most people don't agree with me here. It's becoming something a little more like uh prime minister's questions in the House of Commons where you have guffaws and all and it's a back and forth and it's a kind of a combat and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that in itself. Um that is uh, you know that's its own thing, um, and but you can have that. I don't know the liar, and and it's very personal. It's it's again they most Republican politicians, certainly the hardliners in the House, live within that right wing media bubble where that stuff is awesome, but that's a bubble. And most people in the country aren't in that bubble, even if they're conservatives.
0: I mean, I think it's similar to how, you know, you have all this Trump polling, right? That's like people love Trump, but they wish he would be like a little bit less of an ass. Like, I feel like that's pretty common, even on the right, you know, people who like his politics and that he's mean, but wish that he would cloak it in a more kind of genteel facade. And I think this plays into it. This is the very definition of antisocial. Like, it makes people uncomfortable when you're, at something with clearly defined parameters, like a very formal, big deal speech, and people are heckling, like even content aside, that makes people feel weird. You know, it's like when you're sitting in a subway car and someone starts yelling. You're just those, yeah. That's not the social it's contract we all agreed to. It's, you uh, know? it's
1: uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, that was a huge part of the speech. And then also, I mean, the visual, right? You have Marjorie Taylor Greene being kind of the biggest uh, mouthpiece for the hecklers, and she is wearing a jacket with a lush fur collar. I mean, the Cruella Deville comparisons were just inevitable. That's not even clever. That's just what she looked like, you know.
1: Yeah, no, it was. It was definitely. I, I don't. I didn't. I, I, that wasn't the association that that I made. The and everybody has their own sort of cinematic imagination but what what I went to and and I with my wife of have, I, I haven't seen them in ages but we used to watch various of the housewives shows that franchise right and there are online there are a number of you know kind of classic memes from that from that franchise and there's the one with uh i can't remember i think it's Teresa from real housewives of new jersey where she says this thing that that i can't even say on this on this show that we can kind of use any words we want and throws up you know upends a table and then there's this other one of this of this woman kind of being held back by one of her friends saying "Ah, ah," you know all this kind of stuff um it reminded me of that you know the kind of like Thumbs down, you know, yelling and and her look was not, it's not a, you know, a a female friend of mine on Twitter said she looks like a mob girlfriend. Yeah, she did. And like, I'll let her say that and not me. But she did. It yeah. had that look. It's like you're in Goodfellas or something. Which and is it's funny. just weird. Be-
0: and because she's clearly kind of positioning, well, what she fancies herself, right, is like the, the every man who's like speaking truth to the elite. And then she decides to come shrouded in a fur. I mean, and it's so you have that visual. And then you have Kevin McCarthy, who clearly like kind of decided that his resting face was going to be kind of scornful like that was the look um but throughout it was he was about a beat late on his reaction to every line it was as if in real time he was like thinking it through and being like can i clap for that can i not clap for that which i think was striking because for some of the stuff he didn't clap for i mean it's some very innocuous stuff that he just stayed seated for. And then you have the juxtaposition of like, he won't clap for lowering insulin prices. And then when Biden mentions like a corporate tax, he's like, no, oh, no, 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 no.
1: But I, the thing that I saw was that he, his, his global plan was clearly, I'm not clapping on anything. I'm going to sit here and be stone-faced. This is bullshit. But a lot of times, like towards the end, he kind of like, you know, yeah, okay you know, a few little claps, like he couldn't quite pull it off, right? He couldn't, he couldn't quite, he, he couldn't quite be stone cold, right? He had to, he he had to toss in some claps kind of, kind of at the end. And then in the second half of the speech, at least what I saw, like a lot of times he's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Shut up. I mean, he wasn't, he he wasn't saying that, but that was the body language. He was
0: doing these like half-hearted, like, shh to the crowd, to his members, which was such just a beautiful encapsulation of his like lack of power over this group that he couldn't, he couldn't even really fully commit to like doing a forceful, like, all right, kids, settle down, you know? And then it also was so rich because before the speech, he'd been asked about how are your members going to behave? Probably because Marjorie Taylor Greene was trotting around the hill with a helium balloon. um And he said, you know, oh, we've, We've talked about this. Everyone's going to be uh, good and civil and blah, blah, blah. And so then this happens, which then sets up the inevitable post-game interview of so that didn't happen. You know, what went wrong? Why don't you have control? And then he says some blather about, you know, people are passionate, but uh, it'd be wiser for us, you know, not to take the bait, not to take Biden's bait. So then even when he's capping it off, he is publicly acknowledging that Biden came off the better of this interaction.
1: It's funny that what I was what I was struck by, and I think this is this doesn't mean it was the greatest speech of all time, although Again, I think as State of the Union's it was it was one of the better or best I've I, I've seen. But one of the striking right. things is 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 that as you'd expect, when you watch like network TV, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, you know, obviously there's a range there, but kind of all of them, they're going to watch it, and then they're going to say, oh, that was good, but that wasn't good, and you know, kind of all this kind of stuff. And I was watching on CNN, and I was struck because they were sort of like, wow, he mopped the floor with those dudes. Mm -hmm. Like they were like, wow, he really, he, he, he hit it out of the park. And I, and, and I think the key there is, I mean, I think they're right, but it was very unexpected. I think you, you, you know, you, 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 you prepare for a normal speech. Um, And this was not a normal speech. And so I think because it's not what you'd expect, you get a little more of the unvarnished reaction, which is people saying, "Wow, he got the better of them there." And 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 to the extent you think of Joe Biden as a guy who's a little creaky, a little slow, older, you don't expect him to get into kind of I, it was it certainly wasn't a shouting match on his side, but a sort of a verbal you know let's take it outside kind of kind of thing and you don't expect him to get the better of it right and he did and they kind of couldn't they couldn't not acknowledge it
0: and i think in some ways that was helped by how the white house set the stage for the speech because they had you know there's always these kind of press calls with administration officials before events like this where they basically you know they give out teasers they're like here are a lot of the main themes of the speech. You know, they're trying to preemptively spin the coverage. And this time, oh my God, so boring. I mean, everything out of that call was like, you know, aggressively bipartisan, which is to be expected to some degree, because this is his first state of the union with a divided Congress. But it was like, and it was stuff that was in the speech, you know, but it was um, cancer treatments and uh, mental health solutions and and helping veterans and stuff that is like you know all good not complaining about any of that but it doesn't exactly get your get your blood right up right i mean it's it's just kind of boilerplate this is still stuff that republicans can't fight democrats on or can't fight them out loud anyway so uh, you know we all we all agree on this stuff and that was kind of how the stage was set that this was going to be kind of boring, kind of inoffensive. There's no real reason to kind of go really hard on Democratic priorities because the legislative ambition that could be contained in this speech had to be really narrowed just because of the congressional reality. And instead, he kind of goes in and then The other thing is the White House has been going bananas on the cutting Medicare and Social Security thing. Like we're getting an unusual amount of kind of on the record from the deputy press secretary statements like those are coming in every day. The press secretary is talking about it at the briefings every day. The White House clearly sees this as a winning issue and are just try and squeeze every drop out of it. And now the enduring moment, the clip that is probably, as we speak, being played on every cable show is the back and forth where Biden kind of manhandled the heckling Republicans on that very issue. So all of a sudden, the most salient piece that's going to get all of the post-game coverage is this issue that's really bad for Republicans and that the White House desperately wants to talk about.
1: Yeah, and again, sort of with with what you were saying about, you know, kind of, like negotiating from from the podium they have set up the at least the next several days and i suspect the next several months about what you said you weren't you, you you definitely said you're not cutting any social security in the in the when i gave the speech i hope you're not going back on that can you can you can you reaffirm that you're definitely absolutely positively not and not and not and it is their plan it's not everybody's plan to sunset. That's a whole other, you know, kind of idiotic idea Rick Scott came up with. But again, it's not like Rick Scott is like Jim Traficant or something like that. Some like Rando, who no one's heard of. He was running the campaigns. He, he That was what, the, what everyone was supposed to run on. So, and, and, you know, you get into stuff about what they want to do is, you know, you can change the... Basically, you can change the formulas that inflation is calculated by over time. So how, you know, the rate at which benefits go up over time, you can shift the, you know, you can shift the retirement, all these all these different kinds of things you can do, but it is what they want to do. Um, And uh, (laughs) they, they really just walked right into the trap. They really, and, and, and with what you were saying about, you know, the bipartisan, you know, moonshot and all this kind of stuff. It it definitely, you know, that is a huge part of the intra-democratic party uh, critique of Joe Biden. He's from a different era where you can reach out and kind of appeal to the better nature of Republicans and you can come together on something that both sides can agree on. And I think a lot of Democrats have the thought of... He's a great guy, but that's not how it works anymore. That's the past. You're going to get chewed up. Um, and it's, and as you say, they were certainly telegraphing. It's going to be 100% that Joe Biden. He's going to be sort of like, uh, you know, negotiating against himself. Uh, his big program is going to be uh, let's, you know, let's cure cancer. And like, look, let's cure cancer right i mean but but we know that is not something um that is not a legislatable thing it's that's a pretty tough one we've been working on it for a while um and not getting into like let's not bankrupt the country let let, let's not let's not do this hostage taking let's not but he did go there Mm -hmm. and he and and i'm curious the structure of the speech <laughs> the structure of the speech is such, was such, that it's a little hard for me to imagine that that wasn't the plan, because you know they're going to be feral. That's what they do. They're not going to listen to McCarthy, so you start saying kind of like, and I, I, I hope we can agree that you're not going to do what some of those very, very, very few bad Republicans want to do, where uh, you want to, you want to, um, not pay the country's bills and have the whole world explode. I hope you're not going to do that because, wow, though we can all agree those, those, those very few Republicans are super bad. Of course, they're going to wig out and start yelling and screaming and everything, and what you got is what you got.
0: I totally agree because the way the speech was structured, the first third or so was very kind of old school Democrat, right? There was a lot about uh, manufacturing and bringing jobs back to America. And it was very kind of like blue collar, Rust Belty, all about the economy, all about job creation, all about economic stability. That was the whole first third. I mean, I was surprised at the time that the uh, semiconductor chips bill got extremely high billing. I mean, multiple paragraphs way up high in the speech, whereas I'm not quite sure that a a normal American off the street knows what that is. So that was kind of the first bit, very kind of Sherrod Brown. And then you get into the, by the way, they're going to explode the debt ceiling. Cue all the heckling. Cue the moment where Biden really kind of took control of the speech. Um, And then it was, the last third was very kind of democracy, right? I mean, that was really, the notable part from that was when he gave the Paul Pelosi shout out, which was, I, you saw Nancy Pelosi was visibly kind of tearing up. And then you saw Paul Pelosi sitting in the balcony wearing a hat to cover what we assume are the lingering wounds from getting attacked with a hammer in the skull. And that kind of punched home the, you know, we are better together, house divided, cannot stand, state of the union is strong stuff. So I think I, I partially think that's why the speech was so strong, is that the rhythm was really, really well done. And I think punctuated in a very effective way by the kind of quote-unquote normal people spotlights, which to be completely frank, I usually detest. Like I think that they are often awkward looking. I think they're saccharine. I think it's sometimes just like, and this person is a good, a good person. Like, let's clap for the good and move on. But even from the very first one of those spotlights, which was the very cheerful union worker lady, it just worked really well. Like, she was telegenic and happy to be there, and that was kind of infectious. Uh, The Paul Pelosi one, I thought, was very affecting. The young couple at the end whose um, little girl had kidney cancer. And the story was kind of told in a way that it really, really seemed like she had died and that was going to be the punchline. And then it ends with, and now she's four and she's watching from the White House. It just like really worked for me in a way that those usually do not at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- those are for all presidents. It's very easy to, for them to slip into feeling very exploitative
0: mm-hmm. because exactly. it
1: because it is political you have people who have you know in many cases suffered profound losses that most of us can't even imagine um and they're up there and again it is political you know i think we normally um think and i think it's basically right they know how that works they know that's part of the state you know so it's they're not being blindsided by it but it's a it's a it's a a volatile thing in in every case. I was struck on the um, on the Pelosi thing that, you know, he didn't just say, oh, and some terrible person who doesn't believe in our values. He basically said, yep, totally just like one, just like one of the insurrectionists, like about half of you guys over here on the Republican support and, uh, you know, the big lie, which all of you support and like, look what happened. He uh, Paul got his head bashed in. So like... That I love they didn't. That. He didn't hold. He didn't hold back there. He was like very direct, kind of like your insurrection, your big lie. Look what. Look what ended up happening. And I think by that point, I think that was pretty late in the speech. Yeah. Um, at that point, I, I don't know if they. I don't know if the Republicans felt a little beat up or or they just kind of felt a little cornered. But they just kind of had to take it. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't say like, oh Pelosi. I heard you know. Going back to the, I heard you invited him, you know, all, all the kind of, right? all the kind of nonsense. Um,
0: I totally also loved that line because he said the way he connected it to the insurrection was he described David DePape breaking into the house using the same language as the insurrectionist, which I thought was a brilliant way to tie them together because not only are those two things obviously related, but the language that they had in common was the insurrectionist going into the Capitol and being like, Nancy, where are you? I mean, in this horrific horror movie way of it, it's just everything in one little ball. It's calling her by her first name, right? It's not even respecting her enough to, to use her last name like they were yeah. with any man they were coming to get. And it's like, they were headhunting her in particular. I thought it was so effective. Um, and moving and just really well done. Um, And there's two more parts of the speech that I specifically want to talk about before we wrap. Um, One of which is Tyree Nichols' parents were there, um, the young Black man that was just beaten brutally by a group of police officers, died of his injuries, and then all the horrific details come out, you know, that he was screaming for his mother, and it's just horrible. And the way... I think I kind of had a mixed reaction to this section of the speech because police in particular is a place where Biden and Biden-esque Democrats, I think, often do a lot of water carrying for Republicans to avoid the defund the police thing, which always feels to me, I get why they do it, and I get why they feel like they have to do it, but Fox News is not going to stop saying that they're saying defund the police anyway, so I'm not sure what it serves other to, other than making their supporters angry and making black people angry. And there was a bit of that where there was, he said, we all feel the same about this issue, which is just, that's not true. Maybe say something else that feels a little more like bondy than that. Um, but he also had this section where he names all his children and he says, I never had to have the talk with them that brown and black parents do. And then kind of talked about hypothetical situations where what these children are told to do to avoid being hurt by the police to avoid any kind of uh you know looking like a threat in any way don't reach for your license don't turn on the interior car light put your hands where they can see them and i found that powerful i liked that he made it explicit that this is an experience that white people simply do not have
1: yeah no abs- absolutely and i i think you know it's a that is, look, th- there are there are profound divisions in the country over that. That's just a reality, and I do think that. Um, I think polling data, my very limited experience, you know, uh, African Americans have very conflicted and complex attitudes mm-hmm. towards police. They, they, they there is a huge amount of anger and fear about everything we know about police brutality, the killings, and they also want their neighborhoods to be safe. Mm -hmm. And that is why, um, the defund the police thing has, it's certainly not that it has no resonance in, in the African-American community, but it has limited resonance because you often, uh, many african americans live in neighborhoods where there is crime and and often where there is you you have the aggressive brutalizing policing but certainly historically the case you know the the police public authority saying eh there's a lot of crime over there whatever you know that's that's not a huge priority we have to you know keep crime down and so it's it's it it is a very complex thing and um i think and you know i i i don't want to put myself in in the place of of speaking for anybody but my perception is a lot of times like you know stop the brutality and also keep our neighborhood safe you mm-hmm. work for us what the fuck you know what is, what is what is what is happening here um and that's but that that is a that's a that's you know there's obviously a lot of fissures in the democratic party about that, because th- that, um, the stuff that Biden was saying last night, which I basically agree with, his kind of looking at the whole picture, that whole sort of, uh, you know, that kind of politics, that kind of rhetoric can certainly um, bleed into eh, it's a few bad apples. We're all on the same page here the police us everything just a few guys who get you know who 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 get a little over the top and out of control and that's you know i think in any sophisticated way of thinking about these things it's not the number of apples we approach policing in a way that treats different races of people differently um you know we 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 know about this we all have our opinions about this it's a, it, it is a it's a difficult topic to keep everyone in a very diverse, and I mean that in the other sense of the word, diverse coalition together, you know, in, in, in how they think about it. And, and I think he did a I think he did a, 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 a good, you know, a good job of it there. Um, you know, other people will tell.
0: I guess my sticking point here is I think the way that Republicans and the associated kind of right-wing media ecosystem have weaponized defund the police has been incredibly effective. And I think Democrats, by and large, have done a pretty horrible job of combating it because they're doing the old standby of fighting on Fox News's ground, which is a losing proposition. I mean, it's the kind of thing where the whole Democratic Party has become tarred with the brush of defund the police, even though the idea stems from, you know. Activists on the left side of the spectrum, and that is their job. Their job is to try to pull the Democratic Party to the left uh, to get their, you know, their priorities done. Um, and it's been allowed to kind of be to, it's, a it's been, a, it's the same thing of when Republicans say, uh, critical race theory or whatever. And like, then you kind of trace back, where does that come from? And it's, you know, a group of like college kids at Oberlin or whatever. And all of a sudden that becomes the stance of the democratic party, even though no elected officials are saying this kind of thing. And that. It seems to be the playing field that Democrats have to compete on. Whereas for Republicans, whole swaths of whom are on the record saying that they want to cut Medicare and Social Security or end those programs altogether. Biden mentions it in the speech and you got Mike Lee going, what? I, I've never heard of such a notion, even though he's on film saying those things. Well,
1: you know, the funny thing was in that, and I actually, maybe I'll post that video later. I pulled that down from our, 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 our video system. He was sitting next to Rick Scott Scott.
0: i know I know he, was he was sitting
1: next to rick scott um so yeah but you know I, I i think but this is also um you know this is the other the other side of the the other side of 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 this coin that you know democrats i think hey we'd love to have a conversation with you to make sure there's none of you who are supporting social you know cutting social security because we we seem to all agree now that would be totally terrible so let's 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 do a, a a roll call and see if there are any of any of your people who who say these terrible things because you know in the same way uh with with policing there it, it is in the nature of the structure of our politics that for many voters democrats don't have if there is an argument about policing democrats lack some level of credibility whether that is fair or accurate or not and in the conversations about medicare and social security if there's a debate people don't trust republicans on that because people know if there's anybody who wants to cut it it's republicans people just know that's how it works um and i do think uh you know the whole the whole i think there's some blame to go around with how the defund the police thing sort of uh got ahead of steam regardless of the fact that few if any elected democrats supported it. You know, there's there's kind of there's there's sort of two there's two parts of that or maybe you can say three. There's 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 three parts of that politics. One is I think a very constructive argument about let's not have the Let's not have a a group of armed police go out when you have someone having a mental health crisis. You can d- you need to deal with that a different way for the police, who that's not what they're trained for, for the person having a mental health crisis who is obviously not going to react in a predictable way. And so l- let's let's invest in, you know, let's move some resources to these other things that also promote public safety that are not kind of coming at everything with an armed response. That's one, is, that's one part of it. Which
0: is the possession I think Biden staked out last night when he, yeah. in his section about, you know, we ask police officers to be too much, to do too much.
1: Right. And there's another part of it, which is sort of, I think some people kind of, uh, you know, it's a rhetorical stance. When you see police officers who have done horrible things, things that are, are are shocking to us as, as humans, you you know, defund the police. That's kind of, you know, push back against the police. And then you have one group who disagrees with the basic concept that there should be municipal police forces. And that is a really unpopular idea. Very, very, some people, some people think that there are some uh, interesting sociological theories that 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 undergird that, but I guarantee you and and kind you know the vast majority of people who say like let's just not have police. The vast majority of people of every race say that's crazy and 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 that's kind of what um you know and and Democrats found themselves in that position where they kind of you know Republicans were able to kind of leverage that against them because I think to to uh to the vast majority of people, even who recognize all the structural problems with policing, inherent structural problems with policing, and the way that it is practiced in in this country, still say, "Hey, <laughs> I need someone to call if someone's breaking into my house, and if there's if there's a uh, you know, and if there's an open air uh, you know drug market." Next to the playground, my kids play at. I need someone to call. So you can't get rid of the police, and and Republicans have used that to great effect. Just you know, coming at something where the vast majority of people say like, "Whoa, that's crazy! You guys believe that? That that's totally nuts!" And I can't, you know, you're you're living in a different planet if that's really what you what you believe in. It puts you know puts Democrats on the defensive.
0: So the other section of the speech I wanted to talk about was what came as the biggest surprise to me, which was the abortion section, uh, which you could be forgiven if you missed it because it was literally two sentences long. Um, He says, we need Congress to codify Roe, basically. He says, "Um, the vice president and I are doing all that we can on this issue. And if Republicans pass a national abortion ban, I will veto it.
1: Which clearly isn't going to happen since the Senate isn't under control of the Democrats. Yeah.
0: Which I thought was an interesting moment just because we saw none of the uproar from Republicans in reaction to the idea of a national abortion ban than we did to uh, cutting Medicare and Social Security, which is a pretty clear signal of where they stand on it. But it was interesting because, again, the White House has been doing a lot of kind of abortion centric messaging. There have been a lot of kind of touting the various executive actions that Biden has taken. Um, recently, there's been a lot of talk around medical abortions and trying to keep MIFA Pristone accessible and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all this stuff has been in a very kind of limited stable. Um, and some of that, you know, abortion access advocates have criticized the administration for not trying to do enough. And then some say, well, limited set of tools. So whatever mix is going on there, it's been something that I think the administration has largely seen as a powerful argument, especially coming off these midterms, where I think kind of the the broad takeaway is that Dobbs really helped Democrats paint Republicans as extremists. And specifically, the court helped Democrats paint themselves as what is usually the argument of the minority party, which is you need us to rein in the excesses of the controlling entity, which in which was kind of a, a creative and surprising that it worked, given that Democrats controlled the White House and all of Congress at the time. So I, I was surprised that it got such short shrift in the speech.
1: It's interesting. I mean, I, I think one of the big things about Dobbs, though, is, is that even though a lot of us have seen it coming and see it, seen it becoming a reality. I think a lot of people realize you can have the whole Congress and the presidency and it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. there's those six justices and they can do anything they want and they really don't give a shit what you think. And I think that was, that was one of the powerful things. I, I, I was, I was, I wasn't sure totally what to make of it either because I have a, a good friend of mine is a very prominent, uh, you know, feminist writer and activist, and I saw her on social media this morning saying, "Like, what the fuck? Like, like that is." I mean, and and I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, the speech was a was a deep disappointment to her because you know the sort of the central issue, which it is a central issue to lots of people, mm-hmm. as you said, it was kind of like. I, I don't know if it was two sentences, but you know, I guess her point was it, it didn't, it, it did not last a minute. Definitely it, was, not. it was, it was, it was less, it was less than a minute. And, uh, that is kind of strange. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Cause, and, and it's, it's what makes it strange is that it, it, it's not like the, um, it's not like the white house is like shied away from this.
0: Exactly. They,
1: they've been, they've been kind of all over it. And if anything, you've gotten, uh, Before the election, you got a lot of pushback largely from the sort of populist left of the Democratic Party, but also some pollster types and stuff. Kind of, you know, what I think is a wrong estimation of the politics, but basically those people saying, hey, stop only uh, appealing to, you know, affluent white feminists talking about abortion. You're, you're missing the big picture. You got to talk about, you got to talk about jobs, you got to talk about wages and all this kind of stuff. Again, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not crediting the idea that it is only, you know, affluent white feminists who care about abortion rights, but that was the, that was the push. That's the kind of the dynamic within the, within the, uh, within the Democratic Party. Um, and so they were all over it they were talking about it constantly. I mean, my beef was that they weren't connecting it to a post-election deliverable saying, you know, you need to elect us because we're going to pass this thing after, you know, a- a- after the election. But in general, again, they, the administration talks about this all the time. They're they're kind of all over it. So, I don't, so in that sense, it doesn't, It it, you know, be one thing if you could say, eh, they don't really care about this issue. Don't They don't think it works for them. That's clearly not the case because they're they they they're on it all the time.
0: And it was the first state of the union after Roe was overturned. I mean, that was a massive historical event. And I mean, it got much lower billing than semiconductor chips. I, I do find it kind of baffling. And I find it amid an otherwise extremely strong speech, almost like a just a purposeful kind of finger in the eye of a lot of the people who are in charge of delivering the strongest historical midterm for a democratic president going in, in the, with these conditions, you know, I I thought it was kind of baffling.
1: Yeah. I don't exactly understand. I, the best explanation I can give is that, you know, and you mentioned this earlier that the um, everything in the speech, but particularly the first third of the speech was, aimed at people in mid-sized cities and towns basically in the po- in post-industrial mm-hmm. midwest that kind of thing the not having a job the pride of having a job the way that you can you can tell your family it's going to be i mean it was that that was the kind of everything was aimed at that kind of uh that part of the contemporary American experience. Um, And my best guess is they went into it thinking that's what we need to pull together here. That's the that's the goal in this speech. Um, And we need to do that and then kind of bait Republicans into saying, oh, we're going to cut your social security, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I think that makes sense strategically. But there's no reason you can't have the overall focus on that and devote five minutes to abortion politics. Right. It doesn't it's Mm -hmm. not it's not one or the other. So I don't I don't. um,
0: And I mean, not that it matters at this point, but you've got Supreme Court justices As a captive audience, I mean, you know, I I don't think that if Biden had gone harder on abortion, you know, Brett Kavanaugh would have left the chamber and been like, change my mind. I'm changing my vote or bringing back abortion rights. But but I mean, it's a stark visual at the very least. You know, what you did have
1: is that you had that thing. I can't remember which um, which state of the union it was, but I think it was with Obama. And Obama said, you know, kind of, yes, Citizens United sucks. And (laughs) Alito and Alito was there like, oh, dude, no way. It doesn't suck you suck. I mean, and that, that is, that wouldn't have been a bad visual having Alito, you know, kind of getting into a shouting match with Alito. Right. Um, I I can't imagine Alito would have, would have, would have sort of fallen into that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, what the thinking was. It's possible. They, they, um, they just didn't quite get how it's going to land. I mean, I think it is, it is important to remember that, um, there's all sorts of things going on in a State of the Union address, and there's all sorts of all sorts of um, stakeholders trying to get their thing into it and stuff. And I do think it is possible. It's not an excuse, but you can kind of look back and think, "Ooh, how did we how did we back how did we back into that? How did we end up only 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 having two sentences?" That's that's the best I can. Again, yeah. it's not an excuse. It's it's how I think maybe you end up that way because again, if if it were the case that they want to soft pedal it, they don't want to get into it because they're not because they're afraid of the politics or they don't care about it, then they wouldn't be talking about it constantly the yeah. rest of the time, which they and I do. Just,
0: I don't think it would have been that hard. To say like everything he said was right, but the thrust of it was just kind of like, well, now it's on Congress. I've done what I can do, which is like even if that's kind of somewhat close to the political reality, pretty dispiriting, not the best re-election message to be like, well, I'm powerless in this realm, so best of luck, you know? I think
1: the part that landed sort of flat to me too, was when he said that thing. And if Congress passes a national abortion ban, I will veto it. Well, Congress isn't going to pass a, more, a national abortion ban. That's a hundred percent not going to happen. I don't even think the house would try, but if they did, it doesn't matter because the Senate. So like, it's not going to, so that, that's like a, that is a notional non thing. I, I, I I, if I had been writing that kind of speech, I would say something like some of, I've heard some of people in the Republican Mm. party might want to ban it. Let's do the opposite. Let's overrule Dobbs. So I challenge you to overrule Dobbs. Well, that's not going to happen either, but you can push people. Yeah. You can have that be kind of, and I think it will be a central issue in 2024 because you could very well end up with a Republican Congress and a Republican president, and then you can have it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, my friend was certainly quite upset about it. And I don't have, I I don't know why it happened that way.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up with uh, kind of Biden's departure from the chamber. We'll finish the way he finished. So Josh, you and I were discussing this a bit before we got on air, but we were watching the speech or most of the speech on different, um, you know, media. I was watching the C-SPAN. You said you were watching CNN, right? Um, and, you know, I thought C-SPAN just overall during the speech, you know, whatever the camera setup is, I thought it was great. Um, the The way that the camera would pan to the relevant people in the audience was kind of a super... Um, the, the those decisions were clearly made by someone who is just neck deep in politics and knew exactly who was the person to pan to, you know, whether it was Warnock on insulin prices or Cinema on raising corporate taxes, like it was spot on. And then when Biden kind of, oh, the state of our union is strong. God bless the troops. Oh, clap, 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 clap. And then he, he leaves the dais and he starts making his way. And it's just mobbed, mobbed by House members who are trying to kind of get their, get their second with the president on his way out of the chamber. And, you know, Josh, you had hypothesized that he had left his mic on, which seems right to me because I could hear or nearly hear all the conversations he was having as he left. And obviously the camera is like right there in his face. And it was kind of nuts in the it was almost um, Aaron Sorkin-esque to me in the way that all of these individual House members were coming up to him and saying things like, you know, Mr. President, in the, in the California 15th, we're dealing with a lot of drought issues and I don't know where the food's gonna come from if we if we can't help these farmers out, you know? And then Biden would be like, Gesture to his aide and have him take the person's number. Or, you know, someone else coming up and say, you know, I love that you said this in the speech. I want to help. Let me know how I can help. You know, you, you, it, you know what's was- notable
1: is the, yeah. the I, I think the one you're referring to um, is this guy, LaMalfa. That's actually a Republican member of Congress, which really struck me from california Mm -hmm. from a from like an ag i mean maybe there's another one who said the same maybe there's democrats said the same thing but the one i saw was this guy i think his name's lamalfa or malfa i can't remember um but it was interesting because he wasn't kind of saying like oh you suck you you took all the water he was it was what members of congress do we need some help on this thing Mm -hmm. and it was it was it was striking um as you know a certain percentage of them were like hey here's you know Here's my kid on FaceTime. Say hi, (laughs) you know, or let's do a selfie. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it was, hey, I'm working on this thing. Can you help? Or I want to, you know, that And and it went on forever. And I'm pretty sure it's just, like I said, he didn't, they they left him mic'd up. And um, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if um, his kind of press handlers kind of thought, hey, this is great, man. Let's, you know. Let, let's let everybody see this.
0: It was. And,
1: yeah.
0: you know, there were kind of funny moments where I couldn't really hear what the congressman was saying, but Joe Biden was like, well, don't let the guy from West Virginia hear you. So it's <laughs> clearly some kind of climatey thing. Yeah. Um, and then right before he left the chamber, Debbie Dingell came over to oh, him yeah, to think. tell him that it was the anniversary of her husband, John's death. And Biden's like, yeah, you know, Bo's birthday was a few days ago. Uh that you know they're up there watching over us. I mean, it was very sweet and very what people like about Joe Biden. You know that that other people want to come to him with their grief because they know that he understands. I mean, yeah. it, I if you're your thought about you know the press people letting it happen that just would not surprise me at all because the kind of interpersonal joe is what everyone has always said that's that's him at his best you know yeah. his most human his most uh, kind of compassionate commander in chief type thing
1: you know if, if if for listeners if you did not see this stuff there is a reporter uh, jen, jen bendery who's been at huffington post i think since the beginning um and still is she's you know, one of their uh, top politics reporters, she did a thread on Twitter last night. And the first part of the thread is just as as many reporters do, just kind of going through things in the speech. But about halfway through that thread, it gets to the end of the speech. And and she does, I don't know, like 20 tweets of pictures of these different encounters. Um, and it's sort of, so it gives you a feel for it. Like if you're interested, um, again, uh, I guess her full name that you would look her up and jennifer bendery b-e-n-d-e-r-y uh from huffpost and so she has this and you kind of if you go through this thread you kind of get a get a get a feel for it because i don't know how um i i i ended up switching to c c-span uh like in the middle of the speech because i realized that c-span was getting a lot more of the reaction shots um, I guess because they're, you know, they're using their own cameras and the networks don't access the cameras. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, uh, you know, press people are usually pretty sharp. They know something's good when it's, when it's good. And, and, and uh, you know, certainly, I don't know, in every state of the union I've ever seen, the president walks back up that aisle. You know, everybody's kind of clamoring. He says hi to a few people, you know, gives a hug you know, takes a selfie and that's it. Like it's, it's three, four minutes, five tops. Um, And it may not have been an hour, but it was, it was a long time. It was a lot of people are saying, it's like, he's closing the bar, right? You know, he's going to be the last one out. So yeah, that was a, you know, that was uh, whatever, whatever you think about uh, Joe Biden's presidency, his policy views and so forth. That's the, that's sort of the best part of him. Um, And it was nice to see that. So, uh, I think that's about all we got, isn't it?
0: The State of the Union is strong.
1: Yeah, State of the Union is <laughs> strong, and it's it's given us a strong episode because there's lots to talk about. Uh, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get 25% off every order if you use the promo code TPM, and they are at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And all that right. is, that's it. See you next Later. week.